In the holy name of Jesus, amen. For these Advent midweek services, we are considering the sanctity of life. And we're doing so from different perspectives. Last week we heard of St. Paul at the Areopagus, the hill of Ares, as he interacted with the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers. We considered how this world considers life. And they do so in the abstract. As we heard last week, they think of life as some kind of philosophical concept. And so they will evaluate life, the Greeks did, by splitting it into various pieces, if you remember. The soul and the spirit and the essence of life and the body. And all of that together they consider life. But they don't do so from the scriptures. They do so from reason, from understanding, which we talked about last week. Today we heard from Psalm 139 about the nature of life. Today we hear we might call the Hebrew way of thinking, the Old Testament, the scriptural way of understanding life. And it's wonderfully confessed in Psalm 139. You notice how the psalm spent many, many verses speaking about the nature of God, his, what we call, omnipresence. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You hem me in, behind me, before me. You lay your hand upon me. It's too high. I can't even attain the knowledge of this. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, down, you are there. If I take up the wings of the morning, east to west, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand hold me. Those first ten verses all deal with this omnipresence of God. But part of what's being confessed there is that God is present in all, through all. And being present in all and through all, the Hebrew way of understanding then is that the reason why anything has life or breath or moves is because God is present there in them. So when the scriptures say that he causes the seed to sprout, God goes into the seed and causes it to sprout in their way of thinking. When it says the rain falls, it's God who's in the cloud commanding the rain to fall. When the sun rises, it's God who commands the sun to rise. God is present in all and through all, giving life. And if God were not present, there would be no life. This is quite different than the modern philosophical understanding of God as a divine watchmaker. Perhaps you've heard this confessed. This came out of the Enlightenment. I discussed this on a podcast that will be broadcast soon. The idea was that God formed the heavens and the earth, put it into motion, and like a perpetual motion machine, it just keeps going on its own. But God is abstract. He's distant. He's not present. Well, that's not at all what the scriptures confess. Quite the opposite. God is living, active, breathing, present, in creation. And because he is there, then there is life. 
Then the psalmist goes on and uses another picture. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, the way that we hide from one another, we hide from each other in the darkness, it says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So even the way that we think that we can hide from this presence of God by seeking the darkness or hiding in the garden as Adam and Eve did or covering ourselves with fig leaves, thinking that God somehow won't know the innermost parts of our heart, the secrets that we think we can keep from him. On the other hand, if God is in all and through all, then he already knows. And he even knows before you've even done it. Because in addition to God's omnipresence, there is, as the psalmist says, a book that is written, that was written long before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye. Generations and generations came long before you, and yet God had already named you. He had already formed you in his mind, in his mind's eye. Not only does God know everything about you, from the very hairs on your head, Jesus says, but he knows what has come and what will come. He knows your sin, and that's why, of course, he sent his son Jesus to die for it. He knows the sin of the whole world because he is in all and through all. And there's kind of a vain, then, attempt to hide from him. Why would you hide from God for fear of your sin when he has forgiveness? Because if you hide from him, you also are hiding from the source of life. So those famous verses right at the center of the psalm are the most obvious confession of what we call the sanctity of life, specifically referring to the protection of life in the womb. When the psalmist says, David, for you formed my inward parts, you formed them. Just like you formed Adam from the dust and breathed life into him, you formed me and all my parts and breathed life into me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. You knitted me together, you made me fearfully Wonderfully. What a beautiful confession of God being the source of all life. And if God has granted life, then who are we to say that that life is not worth living? That that life does not belong in this world? What God has joined together, let not man separate, including the life that he knits together in your mother's womb. And notice again, then the psalmist returns, if you're following along, he returns to that omnipresence of God. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. It's my body. And when I was being made in secret, in my mother's womb, intricately woven, not just knit, but woven together, and then an analogy for your mother's womb, in the depths of the earth, in the darkness. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, all of my substance, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. 
We also confess that God is, as Jesus says, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows all time. He knows the beginning of things. He knows the end of things. And so, he knows your beginning. He knows your end. He knows your every day. And that's why when we confess in the first article of the Creed or in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we confess that God does look out for our every need of body and soul. How could he not if he already knows our every need before we even ask, before we even realize it? And if God, again, is omnipresent in all and through all, when we hunger, he hungers. When we thirst, he thirsts. When we are in need, he knows our need and provides for us. It is a chipmunk. So just ignore if you can. (laughs) Trying to get out, likely. We'll take care of that later, won't we? All right. Making a racket. How precious are, are, you, are to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And then in a strange turn, the psalmist in Psalm 139 speaks of the enemies of God. And the enemies of God that he speaks of are here very helpful to think about. Those who are opposed to God, namely opposed to his word, this word, are his enemies. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. What the psalmist is praying for is praying that God would bring his vengeance, not ours, his, upon those who oppose this life that he has knitted together in the womb. They speak against you, That is, they speak against the life that you have created with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now that's a hard word to say. But we know the word of Jesus where he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here, David. He's angry. He knows his enemies. He knows how they seek to take his life. We know how they seek to take all life that God has created, whether in the womb or at the end. And also livelihood, too, to take that which God provides to sustain us each day. It's not wrong for us to be angry, but it is wrong for us to let the sun go down on that anger, as Jesus says. So instead, We do what the psalmist does. We pray that God would vindicate his name. That he would judge those who hate his word, namely hate the life that he gives by his word. We count them as enemies because they are God's enemies. So that anger, that hatred, as David does, we do too. We hand over to God and we say, God, this is your problem. This abject hatred of life is hatred of you. This hatred of life that you create in the womb is hatred of your word that creates and sustains all things. And having unloaded that onto God, the psalmist ends, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way, the way everlasting. 
There's one more element to the Hebrew understanding of life that's important to note here that's outside this psalm, but is through and through the Old Testament scriptures. And that is, wherever God speaks, wherever wherever he speaks, he breathes. And wherever he breathes, there he breathes life. We mentioned David being formed out of the dust, and God breathes upon him, and life goes into him. mentioned last week Ezekiel and the dry bones, and when God gives words to Ezekiel to speak, breath enters them, and they become a living, breathing army. So it is that God's word is attached to the giving of life. And this is something that is unheard of in any other religious tradition, in any other understanding of life, is that life is given by speaking. Just at the beginning, as at the beginning when God spoke and there was light and there were trees and there were living creatures and living beings and there was a living man and then his wife. God did all of that by speaking. The God is the God of life. And life comes by his speaking. Because where he speaks, there he is. But where God's voice is not heard, where his presence is not known, there is no life. There's only death. And this is why Israel, the people, your people, spend their waking days in the word of God, because in the word is life. Jesus calls his word bread from heaven that feeds, that feeds you, that gives you life. It's not so much a matter of when God made the heavens and the earth, or even so much how many days it took him to do that, although it does say six days, but it's that God gave life and he did so by speaking and solely by the word of of God. If that word gave life, then it is that word that also sustains your life. A word that he attaches to forgiveness of sins in Jesus, which gives not simply life now, but life everlasting. A word that he attached to to your baptism that gave you the washing of rebirth and renewal. Those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gave you new life. Words that he attaches to his body, or to bread and wine, that is his body and blood. And in that bread and wine you receive life and life everlasting. This is how Moses says it in Deuteronomy 32. For this word is not a vain thing for you, because this word is your life. So life is not merely some kind of abstract idea in the Hebrew way of thinking. But life, given by the word, it's more than just human life, too. Because the word that spoke was spoken by the angel Gabriel. That word, implanted in the ear of Mary, conceived life in her womb. And that very life that you know, is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he came into the presence of John the Baptist at the word of Mary, John himself, even in the womb, even in utero, in the sixth month, leapt for joy because he knew, not only from the word that Mary spoke, but by that word that he was in the presence of the Almighty God, 
the Lord and giver of life. Our Lord chose to be born in the same way that we are. And by that, he has elevated, or at least, or better yet, confessed to us that there is no greater joy than a life, a life created by God, knit together, woven in the depths of the earth in the mother's womb. This is how the Lord has chosen to give us life. And now by the gifts of the church, he chooses to redeem that life and to bring us into eternal life. And he does all of this by being with us, Emmanuel, with us by his word, which he speaks. For all this, we give thanks to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. Amen.